0: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy.
1: That's what the poster said.
0: See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13.
1: Bet this football season with my bookie. Use promo code Gators and get a free 50% match with your first deposit. Only at my bookie. Gator's Breakdown. Because there's never a dull moment in Gator Nation. The Gator's Breakdown Podcast is ready to go. I'm your host, David Waters, and you can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore SEC. And joining me as he does every Monday evening is co-host Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com, and on Twitter at Will Miles S-E-C. Well uh as I said, Monday night it is two days after Florida defeated Georgia. I am still as giddy I don't think I've quit smiling uh it uh that one meant a lot man and uh it two, two days later i, I i'm still uh, i'm I'm still up in on cloud nine wait wait Florida won? i
0: I, <laughs> I turned it off after three minutes in when they were down fourteen nothing and uh, and Grantham was already getting fired <laughs> that i mean hey i I knew you were going to have a good time with this one more than anything, because now you can show your face back in black cheer and you're right. allowed, you're allowed to go home and visit your parents. Um, Yeah. I mean, it was pretty apparent after the first quarter that Florida really had some advantages in different places. Um, And you just wondered whether they'd stop shooting themselves in the foot. Then the second quarter, other than the pick six that they opened up the second quarter with, um, just absolutely blew the doors off of Georgia. And you know, we knew that Georgia had some question marks at quarterback. Obviously those came to fruition. We knew Florida had some question marks on defense. I think Kind of answered some of those questions, not completely. I think we had some questions about whether the Kirby Smart defense really could flummox Mullen's offenses consistently. And obviously, the answer is when you got a guy who's in the running for the Heisman Trophy, the, the answer is no. So, uh, you know, it's going to be hard for anybody on the schedule to hang with Florida's offense from here on out. Um, obviously, AM was able to do that, and we'll see if we get a surprise going through. But you know you got a two-game lead on georgia at this point no excuse not to win the east which means alabama's on the horizon so you know it's the sec every year right there's this is actually kind of a down year for the sec when you consider Mm -hmm. where where lsu is and where auburn is but um and even maybe where georgia is now but but florida's obviously in the driver's seat get another big boy coming up in late december assuming that uh the season keeps going and we and we get to that game in september but uh you know, it, you, they have positioned themselves in a way that they haven't for the past two two seasons, three seasons, really. And, uh, you know, you got to be happy with a win. I mean, for the old Miss game, when we won by 16 points, everybody was upset. And you're like, hey, a 16-point SEC win is a 16-point SEC win. When it's over hated rival like Georgia and it's over a team that's sort of sort of really flummoxed you the last couple of years, it becomes much more significant. So this is one of those where you, you, hopefully the team celebrated it for a day. Um, enjoyed some of the laudits that came their way because of all the arrows that have come their way um, for some of the previous uh, years and also earlier this sh- earlier this season. But you know, obviously because of the COVID break, there's there's no no rest for the weary. They got to play another game next week and got to get ready. So hopefully they were back at it today.
1: Well, I, I realized while I was kind of getting ready for the episode, man this is the this is the first time you and I get to talk about a victory over Georgia. Well, um, I mean, I started the podcast in 2016, so we had to win there. But you hadn't yet come aboard, uh, Gators Breakdown. But then. You started in 2017, and then uh, I guess we can blame you for the for the three straight losses. For yeah, I was
0: going to say, I'm glad you didn't fire me before, uh, <laughs> before we got to this point so, so we can come on and talk about it. I, I, so I do have a question because inquiring minds want to know. All who right. are you yelling at in the parking lot, and what do we need to do in order to uh, get you to yell at people next year before Georgia? Because apparently this is a tradition where when you yell at people in front of Gator Ryan, the Gators end up winning the game.
1: Yeah, so uh, I re- I've run into Ryan the last two weeks so i was heading to the stadium two weeks ago for the missouri game running to ryan and right it was uh around after the tailgate uh there for harmonic woods and then uh we know we had a tiny tailgate in, in jacksonville just because of all the restrictions that they had we got there two o'clock ish after tailgating at a hotel or oh, not a hotel apartment um, uh uh josh uh mayor's son has, has an apartment now here in jacksonville so we we got about, about 15 of us got together and uh held you know florida georgia tailgate and then was, was in the parking lot ran into ryan again of course and you know how how, how a harmonic woods tailgate goes but this was a light version of it. But, you know, hitting, sitting there, having a good time, yelling, I guess.
0: I, but, I, yeah, he made it sound like I was yelling at people. I don't think I was yeah, yelling at somebody. Well, I was wondering if somebody came up and tried to taunt you or something, and you just, like, run no, was the of the riot joy. actor. Oh, he, okay. He yelled of joy. Well, so so then I suppose it, you were basically just pre-gaming for what you were going to get to do after the game, because yes. I'm, I'm I'm guessing you slept very, very well Saturday night.
1: I did. I said it on the podcast. Slept very well. Coffee tasted great yesterday. Go to the grocery store. Everybody's high fiving and go Gators at the grocery store. So, uh, they, I th- Gator Nation was ready for this one. Will I, I can tell you that there was a uh, uh, it was exhaling and cheering all at the same time. You know, because you cause you, kn- you knew Florida, Florida should have won this game, and you knew that going in. And luckily, it actually happened after what you said at the, the start. And oh, here we go again. But when that uh. You know, pretty much around halftime, everybody focused. But when the clock hit zero and then you get to see the team celebrate and Mullen going into the crowd and then Travis clapping hands with the fans, I mean, you could, you, you could tell how big this one was.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it felt a little bit like the Ohio State game back in two thousand six, where you had the kick return for the touchdown at seven nothing. Everybody sort of <laughs> shell shocked, and then you know Florida's offense in that game couldn't be stopped; just went right back down the field, tied the game up, and and it wasn't quite like that, but at least the feeling initially was sort of like that, where you're like, oh boy, like the first play, you know, just sort of an off tackle run, and up oh, there it goes, a bad angle by a safety, the corner doesn't doesn't uh, take on his man, he tries to go around his his uh, his blocker, and all of a sudden off he goes and um you know certainly about the worst start florida could have had but you know 75 yards on the first play and something like 200 the rest of the game so uh you know hey that's it it was a little bit nerve-wracking there in the first quarter but that's one of the great things about this florida team i mean can you imagine if a will must champ or a jim McElwain team had fallen down by 14 points i mean you really could have turned off the game after three minutes
1: (laughs) absolutely So, yeah, we've uh, talked about it right here in the intro. We'll we'll cover the game a a bit more, how Florida can move forward from this, too. Florida's going to have to move forward from this. We just kind of explained how big of a game it was and the celebration afterwards and all that. But, you know, Florida still hopefully has another game uh, this weekend. Uh, Kind of uh, if you didn't get to see today, Uh, Sam Pittman, Arkansas's head coach, did test positive for COVID on Sunday, so we'll see if that runs rampant through Arkansas, uh, anywhere near like it did Florida, some other SEC teams, mainly SEC West teams are dealing with it, will um, uh, Mississippi State, Texas A&M, LSU, so LSU Alabama's in danger this week as well, with uh, LSU having a lot of players in quarantine, and uh, all the stuff that goes along with that. So hopefully, Will, with the, the news of Sam Pittman, as you kind of alluded to earlier, we actually do get a game uh, this weekend when Felipe Franks is supposed to return to to Gainesville and play the Gators under the lights.
0: Well, and you got the tropical storm coming through too. So yeah, you, got that, yeah. you got that aspect of things. That doesn't get look the-
1: quite as bad as yesterday, but we'll see this thing. You know, but it, It's November 9th, and we're talking about a freaking tropical storm. I mean, well, hey,
0: 2020. It was- It was 75 degrees up here. I was playing golf yesterday with my son. but (laughs) yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I can't imagine that there aren't a large number of people with Arkansas who need to be quarantined. You figure the amount of people who come in contact with the head coach are probably pretty significant within a program. And one of the things Saban got it and I guess the rest of Alabama somehow didn't get it. Well, but Saban we didn't really have false, it, right? That was the thing. Guess, that, right? Yeah, false positive in the end. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, that's what you hope for Pittman, yeah. obviously, both because he's an older person um, compared to the players, and so, you know, obviously more susceptible to the disease, but also then that if it is a false positive, then it's not running rampant through Arkansas, and then you have the ability to play the games and, and do those sorts of things, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, obviously, it was sort of I think when the news first came out about Florida that Monday after the Texas A&M game, it was like, oh, it's like four or five guys, and two days later they're canceling everything and it's like 36 so um you know, obviously, this ramps up relatively quickly. Um, it, it's a disease that spreads awfully quickly, and so we'll have to see where things stand. But as it stands right now, yeah, you're right. Florida's got a game on on Saturday, going to have some emotion. I mean, obviously, there have been some comments this week, um, just today coming out about Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson and their relationship with Felipe Franks. And so this is – and Trevon Grimes talks about – I think he said he talks to Grimes like every day – or he talks to the Franks like every day, so – yeah, and they were
1: roommate. They were roommates at Florida, so
0: yeah. So I mean, this is somebody that the Florida team is really close to. They went through an awful lot with Jim McElwain being ousted and Frank's being the quarterback and maybe not necessarily being ready, but certainly McElwain kind of kind of hanging his players out to dry. And th- and that growth experience I think helped them buy in to what Dan Mullen was selling when he first came to Gainesville. Obviously, in in 2018 and 2019, not able to get over the Georgia hump, but they just got over that Georgia hump. And, uh, you know, it'd be a shame to waste it by, by losing the game right afterwards because you sort of have a letdown. So um, that's what they'll have to do this weekend. Now, I've sort of, you know, it's two sides of one coin, really, which is that Grantham's defense has been susceptible to big plays. So I even saw it against Georgia that there were some guys running free who, uh, who Stetson Bennett and Dewan Mathis couldn't hit. Um, but on the on the flip side of that is that Grantham should know Felipe Franks really, really well, know what he likes, know what he doesn't like, and take advantage of that. So it's going to be fascinating to see sort of who gets the best of that matchup, and and hopefully we get to see it on Saturday.
1: All right, yeah, we'll uh, get into even more uh, about that uh, as well, but let's get through here. Everybody, remember, you can get some Gators Breakdown merchandise uh, a couple of people over the weekend uh, Went and uh, got some of the new look Gators Breakdown merchandise. You can get that at ebay.com slash str slash Gators Breakdown. Thanks to everybody who's already supported us in that way. But if you'd like to as well, you can find it at ebay.com slash str slash Gators Breakdown. And remember, you can find Gators Breakdown at news 4 com slash Gators Breakdown. You'll find all the Gators Breakdown episodes there as well as news4jacks coverage of the Gators. Please share, rate, and review the show. If you're watching on YouTube, hit that like button right now. Hit that subscribe button. You can be able to catch us on Gators Breakdown. It really helps us out here. Or if you just want the audio version, on-the-go version, check us out on your favorite podcast platform. Follow Gators Breakdown on social media. We're on Twitter and Facebook at Gators Breakdown. So we'll, we'll take a little more look back at uh, Georgia. and We've kind of already hit on the, the crazy start of the game there. And it's something that... I, I, remember going back and looking at it a crazy start you know 14 nothing you're down but you know, could Kad- Kadarius tony and kyle pitts not not touching the ball until the third drive of the game the first drive you go three and out you do get a touchdown on the second drive of the game uh to, to take it 14 7 georgia but then um you, know, you couldn't really complain about it too much i mean you go three and out. Okay. Well, if you didn't get the ball to Tony or pitch, you probably wouldn't have gone three and out. Okay. Well, oh well. <laughs> Nitpicking at, at that moment, you score on the second drive, so you couldn't really uh, say much about it there. But will I mean, kind of going back to your article uh, a little bit, and you knew Kirby, Kirby Smart's a good, great defensive coordinator. You know he was going to scheme some things up here. He made a he made made it a point for Kadarius Tony not to be able to, to to break loose. Kyle Pitts looked like he was probably well on his way for another big day before he was taken out there. But you pointed out in your article in early on in the game that used Pitts in a, in a way to maybe as a little bit of a decoy and, and set up some big plays uh, there there in the offense Who knew the focus would be there for Georgia and other guys ended up showing up.
0: Yeah, it's interesting on that first 3 and out. Um the the pass on third down was a little out route to to Damian Pierce. They split him out wide and then had him run it out. And the Georgia defender did a really nice job of defending it, knocks the ball down. All of a sudden Florida has to punt. They get that 3 and out. And one of the things that that um I guess concerned me at that point was on third down we're going to Damian Pierce, like that doesn't seem like a Um, That doesn't seem like the right thing to do when you're thinking about Trask and and Tony and all the other weapons that are out there. Obviously, the lesson is I'm a moron and uh, Dan Mullen knows better than I do. And so uh, clearly the game plan was to target the running backs because of all the attention that was being paid to, to Pitts and to Tony. And then Mullen did a masterful job really in terms the play to shorter was a great play design where you you know, they're going to give a double team to Pitts. It's something that they've run before down in that general range. And all of a sudden shorter comes dragging across the, the, the formation and the linebacker had to choose. Do I go cover the running back in the flat or do I cover shorter coming across the middle? He chose to cover the linebacker going into the flat. And then Trask was able to do a really nice job of stepping up and getting rid of the ball. And it turns into a pretty easy touchdown. It, it It wasn't until the second quarter or maybe about halfway through the first that Mullen finally started to maybe get a handle on what Georgia was doing and that he was sure about what they were doing. And at that point, he actually had some plays where he had schemed Pitts open. So the play that that, um, Pitts caught down the sideline where they showed Kirby Smart jumping up and down in the replay, (laughs) and then also the touchdown to, to Corey Gamble later in the game, it was the exact same play where they had decided they were going to um, target that tight end going down the sideline in the case of gamble georgia had a complete bust and both defensive backs went with uh went with trevon grimes who was the receiver for the one yeah, to i'm pitts, not sure that
1: bust happens if that is one kyle pitts <laughs>
0: no probably probably not you probably would have followed him but again it didn't work against pitts either the intent of the yeah. play was to make the deep safety choose either i'm going to guard grimes running a post down the middle or I'm going to go out and help on the, on the tight end who's running down the sideline. And I, for the most part, the deep safety's responsibility is usually that post down the middle. Trask holds him with his eyes, throws it to Pitts one-on-one. Pitts is going to win that battle. Same thing with Gamble, except in that case they didn't actually guard Gamble. But those were the exact same plays, and they were really nice play designs by Mullen once he sort of figured out what Georgia was doing. So um, you know, it, it's amazing that this team can just move the ball, move the ball, move the ball when they don't run the ball very well. They did, however, have one drive, the second touchdown drive where they tied it at 14. There were a couple of things there. They were able to get – after a first down incompletion, they were able to get a 10-yard run for Pitts. Mm. It was actually a play where Trask came back and made a nice block to sort of free up Pierce to be able to get the first down. And then the other thing is, is that there were two or three times where they had third and one, third and two, and they just said, we're going to give it to Pierce and he's going to get the first down. And he got it and every even, time. And
1: there was even a third and four they converted on the ground. At yeah, so, point.
0: so you know, I I think that's a really promising thing to look at. And I we'll, think Josh, yeah,
1: and one more before you go for that. I mean, the first touchdown of the game. I mean, as I said, with, with, with who Georgia had out on that defensive front, you were going to have to convert your short yardage plays. And the first touchdown of the game, the offensive line just blows back Georgia's defensive line and Damian Pierce goes in for the opening touchdown for the Gators.
0: Well, so that was the 14-14, right? The the opening the touchdown was. One. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, the, the opening touchdown was the shorter, Not but that. yes. But that, well, that's sort of what I was talking about, though, is the, the getting the touchdown on that third and third and goal and giving it to Pierce and yep. running it in because on second and goal they ran uh, they ran Trask <laughs> on, <laughs> on the on the quarterback power <laughs> and uh, I, I don't think they should run Trask anymore. Is maybe the lesson that we learned from there? But <laughs> he got him close enough; they were able to run the ball. And you know, again, when the defense is expecting pass, if you can clip a four or five six yard run then they have to respect it and it opens it up just enough to where Trask can can make a decision but at end of the day the story in this one's Kyle Trask and the story in this one is Dan Mullen so the scheme that he used was was exceptional for the game he knew he was going to pick on money rice he knew he was going to pick on those linebackers which is funny because you would suspect that he would pick on the safeties because you had Richard LeCount mm-hmm. out but that's not what he did i think he kind of assumed that what Georgia was going to do is they were going to give their safeties easier tasks, which was going to leave their linebackers having to make more decisions. And that's what happened, right? You wound up with linebackers who had to decide what am I going to do? Am I going to stay in to try to guard the run? If I take one step in, uh Oh, the running backs passed me. And that's what happened on a bunch of those wheel routes. Even, even when they read it, right, the guy came up and hit Pierce. And then he still bounced off of him, and turned into (laughs) like a 40 yard run. So um, nothing really went right for George on the defensive side of the ball. Trask had a first half. So my stat yards above replacement where, Zero is average. One is good. Two is Heisman level. In the first half, Yar was five point four nine. So, so we averaged thirteen point one yards per attempt. Twenty six attempts, three hundred and forty one yards. Um, you know, so not only the four touchdowns, but incredibly efficient. And you know, if if I'm a if I'm a defender. Really, any defender against this Gator offense, I feel a lot like people did last year against LSU, where it's like no matter who you double, Trask is going to find the one-on-one matchup, and he has gifted enough players to take advantage of the one-on-one matchup when he gets it. And, you know, you you don't necessarily think of all the times Burrow dumped the ball off to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire last year, but that's essentially what Florida did today. They just said, hey, you know what? The running back is going to be in a one-on-one matchup. That's where we want to go. Kyle, if they if they leave that matchup open, go take advantage of it. And in this case, because we think they're going to leave the running back open, we're going to send them deep a few times. We're not just going to dump it three yards past the line of scrimmage and you know settle for a seven-yard gain. We're going to really make that linebacker cover. And isn't it nice? For years, Florida has just gotten torched with running backs on their linebackers, <laughs> and we finally did it to somebody else. It was great.
1: Man, and what gets me, Will, is that's something like it's not even anything we had seen just all, all year from this Gator offense. We haven't really seen a, a a Will route, especially the amount of times Florida did it against Georgia. But you know, it's not it's not something I don't think you know Georgia really saw on film that they could really prepare for. I think you know this was something that Dan Mullen probably came up with, and you, you had some time there. Uh, for with the COVID break, and then you, you had Missouri. So you had you some time to prepare for Georgia in, in that little break. But this is not a play that's like a staple of a damn Mullen offense and that you see something over and over again. This was something he identified in the weeks leading up to the game that he could take advantage of. And, you know, we, we go back to last year. I hate going back to last year's game. But, you know, you, you, the offense was dealing in that game. And, you know, you, we, we saw a lot of this the kind of the, the same similar – offense that we had seen all year and i think maybe georgia expected it and they they knew how to defend it but this year you go and you you see a georgia defense that struggled versus alabama in a different fashion than what we saw saturday uh versus florida but this was a play this was the type of play and it didn't matter who the running back was or the tight end running it as well just a couple of times The, the 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 wheel route was you know there's the joke out there the wheel route's always open well for florida most of the time it was saturday but this was something that's we don't necessarily see in Dan Mullen's offense that we got to see Saturday over and over again just by something he wrinkled in, came up with that he knew was going to beat this Georgia defense.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you've been able to sort of see it develop. So in the first game, you had three receptions by Malik Davis for 33 yards against South Carolina, two for 13. Against AM, he had three for 73. So you could start to see him sort of emerging as a weapon two for 36 against Missouri, and then five for 100 in this game. So you could start to see that Florida was at least utilizing – Davis in the passing game, the place where it's really started to come along is is Naquan Wright had a few catches in this one. I think he had, what, three catches in this one? He, that's only six for the entire year. Damian Pierce had a couple of catches. He's only got six for the entire year. So it wasn't just Malik Davis. And that's sort of one of the things that I think is interesting about the way Mullen approached this is that oftentimes you'll see teams that get stuck in their tendencies where, okay, Damian Pierce is in the game. He's my pass protection running back, and he's my running running back, but we're not going to send him out in routes. And then I've got Malik Davis, in. he's going to be the guy that I've got running sort of the wheel routes and, and little shallow crosses. And then i got Naquan Wright, in he's going to be the guy I run screen passes on. And, and each guy sort of had a role through the first four games they just execute the offense. And it, and it, if the wheel route was open with Damian Pierce running it, they threw it to him. If it was open with Lake Davis, they threw it to him. If it was open with Naquan Wright, they threw it to him. And you know, here's the reality. The running backs caught 10 passes for like 212 yards or something mm-hmm. like that. Yep. And so if you're averaging an explosive play every time you throw the ball to the running back, then um, one, that's we would complain about that if that was our defense giving that up, right? So not being able to make the adjustment continuously, getting getting beat by that is is really something that's on Kirby. Like coming out in that second half and still getting torched by the by the wheel routes. In fact, that was probably the only thing that was really working for Florida there in the second half. To still be getting flummoxed by that is a problem. Um, but, uh, you know, hey, for Mullen to keep going back to the well, for, and, and like I said, the, the touchdown to Gamble, the, the long throw to pits were the exact same play. So Mullen has a real tendency to be able to dial up similar formations, similar motions against similar defenses. And they, they you saw it, I think it was the old miss game where they just, I think Jordan Rodgers had a bit where he was just breaking it down, showing well, that Mullen you, ran yeah, like the same. I yeah,
1: I don't think he listened to the press conference today. That was actually brought up. Oh, was it? Yes. So that that Jordan Rogers breaking down that same uh, Zach Goodall from uh, you know Gators SI uh, had brought that up to Mullen and saying, yeah, you know, you saw the Jordan Rogers feature. You saw you saw you, you flood one side of the field and you you know, it, it helps your quarterbacks. He goes, you know, is and Mullen basically said, yeah, you know, we'll run the same play out of different formations or just a slightly different look in uh, Jordan Rogers actually responded on Twitter today. Somebody tagged him with that. He goes, yeah, I'm doing that again this week.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, and he should, because they ran a lot. I mean, obviously the wheel routes, but again, even the thrust to the tight end. So the beauty of Dan Mullen's offense and the reason that Kyle Trask is able to run it so well is because it's a bunch of simple concepts out of a bunch of different formations. And then the concepts can be applied. So there's not really a defense that you can run that's going to necessarily stop it if everybody's running on all cylinders. There are very few. T- it, you're going to have to win one-on-one battles if you want to shut them down because Trask is going to be able to find a one-on-one battle or there's going to be a zone somewhere where he's going to be able to exploit the zone. Um, but you need a guy who's pulling the trigger who has the ability to see the entire field go through his progressions and you need an offensive line that gives you enough time to be able to throw the ball and and go through those progressions Um, but here's the reality if the play is designed to get one-on-one coverage against Kyle Pitts and you get one-on-one coverage against Kyle Pitts Trask doesn't have to do anything all that hard he just has to throw it up in his general vicinity the the place of the running backs were actually much more impressive the the couple of deep throws to Malik Davis were just Mm -hmm. right there right in stride in fact the one where they sort of rolled Trask over to the right and then through back to the running back leaking out it kind of reminded me of the play that tennessee almost scored on a couple of years ago where cj henderson uh, chased down the tight end and made oh, him yeah. fumble through the end zone that was kind of what that play design reminded me of but again he hit him right in stride and the defensive back dove and caught him by the shoelaces and if he hadn't that would have been a touchdown so um you know again i, I don't think you can throw out enough superlatives for the way this game was for the way this game plan went. This was clearly something where, you know, if you talk last year that Florida got out coached by Kirby Smart, I think you could say that. I think you could say the mm-hmm. opposite thing this year that clearly Florida had a better game plan coming in. Clearly Florida had a better guy calling the plays, but you also have to wonder, you know, Stetson Bennett played really, really well. Um, the first couple of drives, then he gets hit by Rashad Torrance. All of a sudden, everything sort of falls apart. Um, you know, injuring his shoulder may have had something to do with it, but all of a sudden, you got Dewan Mathis in there. And if you if you'd have told me at the beginning of the year that Florida was going to come up against Georgia and Stetson Bennett was going to start, he was going to get injured, and then Dewan Mathis was going to come in as the backup, and Georgia fans would be longing for Stetson Bennett to come back in and wondering why he got benched. <laughs> I, I, I tell you that Florida has a pretty good shot at winning the game, and and absolutely. You know, uh, that that's uh, the story here is at the quarterback position. George's quarterbacks were awful. 29 attempts, 112 yards total, 3.9 yards per attempt. <laughs> Their yards above replacement was negative 2.99. So Trask for the entire game was 3.21. So a huge differential in quarterbacks. The only thing that really is maybe um, not concerning, but the only thing that you come out of that going is, how did we not win by 50? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, th- this was a game that was, you know, when it was a thirteen point game, and Trask almost threw that pick six. You're sitting there going, "Whew, that got awfully close to getting pretty tight when it probably should have been a twenty five or thirty point win."
1: Absolutely, Will. So yeah, you talked about some of like Superaldo's some numbers here uh, for for the Gators, and yeah, I mean there's 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 some good ones here. Will the, the Florida scored forty one combined points versus Georgia the last three seasons, forty four on Saturday. So you you see the you see the difference here. Look, Florida had two hundred and seventy five yards versus Georgia in 2018, 278 in uh, last season twenty nineteen. Combined five hundred and fifty three uh, total yards the last two seasons. Florida had five hundred and seventy one on, on Saturday. So tells you uh, the, the the big uh, the big markup uh, in just the last couple of years to the year three for Dan Mullen. Florida had five passing plays of 30-plus yards in the first half. Georgia had allowed six all season. Georgia's defense had not allowed a touchdown to an opposing tight end this season. Kamori Gamble and Kyle Pitts both had touchdowns versus that Georgia defense. Uh, Florida posted its 10th game of 500-plus total yards in Dan Mullen's 31 game as head coach, passing its combined total from the previous 101 games from the 2010 to 2017 seasons. They had nine from 2010 to 2017, Will. From Will Muschamp to Jim McElwain, Florida had nine 500-yard games. They've already had 10 under Dan Mullen. So just bringing bringing it there, Will. Um, And Florida's six 500-yard games against SEC foes under Mullen are one more than its uh, 2010-2017 total. Uh, One more comparison I wanted to make here, Will, and everybody wanted to compare Florida and Alabama and their offenses to this Georgia defense. Now, I'll admit, Georgia's missing a couple players here, of course, uh, compared to when Alabama and Georgia played. But uh, Alabama's passing game explosive, and I I said that 20 yards or more versus Georgia. They had a 48-yarder, 38-yarder, 90-yarder, 34-yarder, four plays. But they have 564 total yards. But Alabama had only four 20 yards or more explosive pass plays against Georgia. Florida, 39 yards, 22 yard, 34 yards, 50 yard, 25 yard, 37, 24, 35, 21, 9 plays, 9 passing plays of 20 yards or more for this gator offense versus Georgia. Will it was I mean, you kind of total it with everything Dan Mullen has done since he's been hired here. But it kind of just all culminated. We talked about how big this game was and what it meant. But it meant it meant a lot for this Gitter offense uh, to to show up Saturday night and put this kind of performance together.
0: Yeah, I mean the the offense was unstoppable in the first half. It's actually interesting. I mean, you know, you mentioned the five hundred and seventy four yards or five hundred seventy one yards total. They only had hundred and sixty in the second half. Yeah. So this wasn't even really a complete game by the offense, but it still felt like. Every time Florida's offense got the ball, that if they wanted to, they could put the pedal to the metal and 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 powered into the end zone. Now I'm certain that they were trying to do that every time they had the ball in the second half. Um, at the same time, you know the, there are probably some things to work on from that second half. But part of oh, yeah. that's Kyle Pitts was out too, and and part of that is they were up and sort of nursing the lead. So I'm not going to get too upset about that. the The big thing for me is that the Florida defense forced five three and outs the most punts they've forced this year is seven and they forced five, three and outs against Georgia. So when you think about what the offense was able to do, that's great. But really, this was a defensive win in the second quarter. Georgia twelve plays, twenty five yards, two point one yards per play. Florida twenty five plays, two hundred and fifty three yards, ten point one yards per play. They outscored them twenty four to seven, and really they outscored them thirty one to nothing because Trask threw the pick six to open up the second quarter. And, and George's offense couldn't do anything. And, and you know, that is where the game was won. Obviously, at the end of the first quarter, you're 14-14. Going to the half, you're 38-21. Game's basically over. And it's because the Florida defense was able to stop. So four rush attempts, zero yards. You get the 75-yard run from White at the beginning. And, and this is one where I think Kirby's going to have to own it a little bit. I'm not sure why Zamir White didn't get the ball a lot more. Um, yeah, that, I know. thought they
1: passed way too much.
0: Well they were much. they were relying on Bennett. They thought they could yeah. take advantage of Florida's secondary and it turned out that after Bennett got hit, they no longer had a weapon to take advantage of Florida's secondary. I'm su- and then that's really the value and, and of then the And because sec-
1: the Brown played good, I mean maybe they tried to run as, and maybe felt like they couldn't run.
0: Well, and, and again, they only ran 12 plays, four runs, zero yards there yeah. in the second quarter. So Florida's defense shut down the running game when they were trying to run it, and then eight passes for 25 yards in, in that second quarter. Um, Florida, 14 passes for 229 yards there in the second quarter. And then and then you get to a point, if you're Georgia, where you just don't have enough time. I mean, by the time it was 38-21, to 21, if you're going to put the ball and say, hey, Zamir White, go win me this game, one, that's not fair, but two – are you really going to be able to make up a 17-point deficit against against this offense? Because the minute you get to third and one and get stuffed or the minute you get to third and one and get like a false start or a holding penalty the drives pretty much over, Florida gets the ball back and you're afraid they're going to go right down the field. It, it's the exact feeling that everybody had against LSU last year, which was – you better not give them the ball because if you give them the ball back, they're going to make you pay for it, and we have to catch up. We have to keep up. We have to keep up, and and maybe that's the story. I mean, I think Zamir White ended up with five carries in this game, but he starts off with a 75-yard rush, and, and beyond that doesn't do much of anything. But the lack of carries is the thing that I sort of look at and say, Florida forced Georgia to play a game Georgia didn't want to play. And the last two years, Georgia has forced Florida to play a game Florida didn't want to play. So you think about 2018 – Georgia was able to jump up quickly. Florida's offense had to throw more than they wanted to. They were able to retake the lead there early in the second half, but Florida had to rely on its offense to to sort of – to to push they had to put the ball in the air a lot more last year same thing georgia jumps off to jumps out to a lead and and florida has to slowly try to make their way back and by the end of the game they run like seven seven minute drives to try to catch up this year georgia gets the pick six to go up 21 to 14 bam bam two plays later it's 21 to 21 it, it was just a completely different game because the game was played on florida's terms it was florida was happy getting into a track meet with georgia in fact I would say Florida would would want to encourage just about every team on their schedule to get into a track meet with them because most of the time Florida's offense is going to win the game obviously against Texas A&M you have the fumble by Malik Davis that's the reason that game not the reason but that's the that's the the harm of a track meet right is that if you get into a place where your defense can't stop them you make a mistake on offense and it can make it, it, it can cost you the game but um Florida made some mistakes on offense there's no doubt about it I mean the pick six almost the second pick six a couple of third downs that you figure they should pick up and they weren't able to do it but at the end of the day the offense is so much better than what Georgia has especially the quarterback position this one was uh was relatively easy by the time when you really start breaking it down
1: well it just really stresses and and we've said it before and this is one reason we, we we've talked about offense so much and and granted, another part of the because Coast did not have one for so long, but it just proves. And to gets a quarterback like this, and, and I'll I'll give an ode to Kyle Trask here in just a second. But I mean, this game has changed, you know. For and, and we've brought it up plenty of times. We both love recruiting. We both talk recruiting. We know how important it is. We know how well Georgia recruits, but it's an offensive game right now. It's a quarterback-driven game right now. And we've always said the quarterback is always going to be the equalizer. If you're, if you're going to be Behind on what we perceive, you know, if you look at recruiting rankings and say, you know, you look at talent and who has more overall, whatever, we've always said the quarterback is going to be the the equalizer here. I mean, it, the game right now proves it. I mean, if, if you've got a quarterback that can go out there and will and deal like Kyle Trask is right now, and Florida's got enough talent uh, around him to go out there and, and put up elite numbers that we're seeing right now. I mean, Saturday was just another example of it. We saw it when Alabama and Georgia played a a few weeks ago. We saw it when LSU and Georgia played in the SEC championship game last year. And we're seeing it again with this getter offense led by Kyle Trask and and these playmakers. The game has changed. And if if you're going to recruit to a certain style, it better not be just three yards and a cloud of dust and and trying to rely on a, a, a heavy run game because right now, that part of the game is
0: passing people by. Yeah. I mean, so recruiting is about probabilities. It's if you get, if you get five stars, they tend to turn into outstanding players more often. Now you look at Georgia's quarterback room, they sort of stocked up on really high level guys and none of them have worked out and you can blame Kirby for that, or you can blame the players transferring or whatever. But at the end of the day, Stetson Bennett was starting in this game. So anybody making a stars don't matter argument, it, the reality is, is that, Bennett and Trask were probably about equivalently ranked coming out of school and, and the development of Trask is really the story, you know, when Felipe Frank, but at the same time, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent going to give Dan Mullen all sorts of credit for it because he he had Felipe Franks beat out Trask two years in a row. So he can't, I mean, obviously he, he might've seen some of this in practice, but if he thought Trask was going to be this good, Trask would have been the starter yeah. the last couple of years as well. So I think you got to really tip your hat to Trask and say, you know, what an unbelievable, What an unbelievable story. What an unbelievable performance and the perseverance to be ready when he, when he, when his number was called to be able to go out there and be ready. Yeah. You know, Will Muschamp didn't recruit poorly at Florida. The Mm -hmm. offenses were putrid, but he didn't, he didn't recruit poorly at Florida. And a lot of those
1: offensive guys, went to the NFL, played the NFL, or still in the NFL.
0: <laughs> Absolutely, and there's probably going to be a bunch of Gamecocks in the NFL three years from now, but they can't score either. So this is a offense-driven sport at this point, but it's also a head coach-driven sport at this mm. point. And so the head coach has a large effect on everything that goes on from a recruiting perspective, from a developing perspective, and from an in-game scheming perspective. And you could see that, you know, you look at guys like Trask, you look at guys like, uh, you know, pitts and tony and that sort of stuff that obviously you know billy gonzalez needs a lot of credit for the progress that canaries tony has made he needs a lot of you need to give a lot of credit to greg knox for the running backs being ready and being able to catch the ball to the backfield and being able to execute that game plan got to give dan mullen a lot of credit for putting that game plan in and taking advantage of the georgia linebackers um you know and then you got to give a lot of credit to kyle trash for being able to deliver on the entire game plan all that stuff had to sort of come together um, again i'm i'm it, you looked at like ESPN's FPI before the game. I think they had Florida at like a 35 or 40% chance to win. So it's not as though Florida had no chance to win when it came Mm -hmm. to the experts. And when it came to Vegas, in fact, the the line kept moving towards Florida as the week went on um, as, as more injury news came out of Athens. And then also just, based on, I think, people starting to understand that there were some things that Florida could probably take advantage of. So we'll see, right? I mean, the real recruiting battle is we know Saban is an excellent coach. I don't know that we know that about Kirby Smart. That's one of the things that's given Florida fans hope is that, yeah, he's recruiting at an extraordinarily high level, but he hasn't necessarily... There have been plays in each season where they've lost games they shouldn't have lost because of decisions that he's made or offensive coordinator decisions he's made in terms of who he's had on the staff and all those sorts of things. Saban doesn't have those questions around him, and so if Florida gets Alabama in in, in December in the SEC championship game, then Mullen really gets to um, put that sort of development versus uh, and, and coaching ability versus recruiting, because Alabama's recruited at a level either as high or higher than Georgia, and uh, Saban's an established coach. If Mullen wins that game, you tip a hat, you tip your hat to him and say. You know exactly what we've been saying from the start, which is the recruiting has sto- the recruiting for Florida is at a place where historically SEC championships have not come. But you didn't have the transfer portal; he's brought an awful lot of talent that way. He's obviously a world class developer of players. I mean, you look at Mississippi State; the guys who've gone to the league from Mississippi State at, at a higher rate than would you would normally expect based on the recruiting rankings. And so, hey, if, if he gets the job done, I'll gladly tip my hat and say that I was wrong, that, that the development and the coaching, if you've got a special coach, is, is part and parcel to having a winning program and, you know, have to take that into account. That's one of the things about looking at numbers and statistics is that when somebody comes and proves you wrong, you got to say, is that an outlier? Is that something that I missed? in the numbers or is it a combination of both? And I'm certainly willing to reconsider. And if it means that Florida's playing for the national championship, (laughs) then uh, I'll be glad to reconsider.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. There quick word from sponsor at my bookie will Gators 17 point favorites over Arkansas at my bookie, but uh, here we go. Late fall starts for college football, the NBA bubble, UFC fight Island. It's clear. 2020 has been a year unlike any other, which is why you need a sports book with offers unlike any other. Get some skin in on the game with MyBookie, where odds boost, lightning deals, and free bets await all season long. And with Turkey Day right around the corner, there's really no better time to feast on some NFL action. Whether you're a first-time customer or have been playing with MyBookie for years, there's no shortage of value to be found in thousands of games online, their game lines, unique prop bets, and contests that they offer every week. Sign up or get reloaded today. Find an edge. Make your bet and get paid. They also boast a fully-fledged casino platform, giving you access to all classic table, slot, and card games you'd expect to find at your local spot. And the best part is, at MyBookie, the doors never close, so you can continue to build your bankroll even after the games are over. Make the right play and sign up today at MyBookie. And when you do, use promo code GATERS to get your deposit matched halfway, all the way up to 1000 bucks. The terms are simple. Say you put in $200, they'll match you with another $100 in your account. If you were already planning to bet this season, this is free betting money. It's winning season with promo code Gators at my bookie. So, Will, yeah, we're, I mean, of course, discussing Gator offense, how well it is, how well they played Saturday night. But uh, w- with that performance, Will, you, you teased it earlier, Kyle Tras firmly in the Heisman discussion now, no question about it. Good for him, you know, and we were waiting for that moment. You know, had a Georgia game uh, last year, um, came into that game, you know, kind of you know, playing so well and, and and didn't have the best day. And uh, Fast forward a year later, he's breaking records left and right, but there, there was still that last hurdle, and, and he passed that with flying colors Saturday versus Georgia, finished with 474 passing yards, second highest total in school history, and just eight yards shy of Tim Tebow's single game, School record of 482 set in the 2010 Sugar Bowl. Trask set a single-game school record for passing yards against Georgia by the end of the third quarter. That was at 412 passing yards. Joined Danny Werfel uh, and Shane Matthews as the only getters in history to throw for four touchdown passes versus Georgia. Florida's 474 passing yards were the highest total allowed by Georgia defense since October 21st, 2000, when the Bulldogs seeded 528 passing yards versus Kentucky. Trask and Danny Werfel are the only Gators since 1990 to throw four touchdown passes in five different games within a season. Werfel did it five times in 1995. Trask joins Danny Werfel again and Rex Grossman as the only two Gators in history with multiple 400-yard games in a career. And Trask joins Rex Grossman as the only other quarterback in Gators history to post four 300-yard passing games against sec teams within the same season well he he he's absolutely made the most uh, of his time so far as a gators quarterback got the biggest win of his career saturday versus georgia the team needed it he needed it and he put himself uh you know, as nick said yesterday on the podcast he's mad he won't be able to go to new york with all this because <laughs> uh, kyle trash probably should, should should be in that conversation should be in the in that uh in, in the finalist there but uh I mean, started the season versus Ole Miss. Started getting on the. He was on some preseason Heisman I list. Had that performance versus Ole Miss. Shot up the boards. Get beat by Texas A&M a couple of weeks later. Kind of everybody forget about him a little bit. COVID hit. Great performance versus Missouri. Big time performance on the national stage versus Georgia. And he's right there, and he deserves every bit of it.
0: Oh, absolutely. I mean, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote an article about sort of the next step that he needed to take. Or the the thing he needed to change in what he had done over the first four games, and he obviously had been fantastic in, in the first three or four games. But um, th- there were some things you could see. He was overly reliant on Kadarius Tony and Kyle Pitts. He was forcing the ball into double coverages repeatedly, um, and and it was working sometimes because he had really really good players on the on the on the backside. But one of the things you find when you come to a team like Georgia is when you've got a defense like that, you have to hunt the one-on-one matchups. And the thing that I thought was really impressive is the different guys he was able to get the ball to. You know, you get the the the, the drive that was maybe most impressive is Florida's down 14-0. Trash comes out, throws the ball down the sideline, just an absolute dime to Xavier Henderson, and he drops it. And still, they just come back. They hit a running play to get the first down, and then he hits Keon Zipper like two plays later. So if you're Georgia, you're sitting there going, geez, our game plan was to stop Tony and 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 to stop uh, Pitts, Pitts. <laughs> and he's throwing the ball to Xavier Henderson and Keon <laughs> Zipper. Hey, uh, you know." Again, that is an indication that what he was doing was hitting guys when they were open. He was allowing the defense to dictate, you're going to have a one-on-one matchup over here, and that's where he was throwing the ball. And you look at the guys he threw the ball to, Malik Davis, Naquan Wright, Kamori Gamble, Damian Pierce, Keon Zipper, Justin Shorter, Travon Grimes, Trent Whittemore, like 30 completions and only you know, two for Pitts and seven for Tony, though for Tony it was sort of those dump-offs where he was dancing a little bit except for the one 21-yarder at the end. Mm-hmm. A lot of those throws down the field, he was six of seven, I think, in the first half on throws 15-plus yards downfield, just laying them right in the guy's hands so that there was absolutely no doubt they should be able to make the catch. And, and on- only And only his guys being able to make the catch. Absolutely. I mean, so it it was an unbelievable performance and he's always been accurate. The question has been, does he have the sort of next gear when it comes to when it comes to doing what he did? Because Burrow two years ago had a completion percentage of something like 58%. And he was chucking the ball down the field. He was just really inefficient at doing it. And what what Burrow did to improve from 18 to 19 is he got a lot more accurate when he went down the field. And part of that was finding the right one-on-one matchups. Part of it was Jamar chase being really, really good and taking a step forward. But, but part of it was just Burrow getting more accurate when he went down the field. Trask didn't necessarily have that in his cap because he completed like 67% of his passes last year. So you figure in order for him to improve, he's going to have to get better going down the field. He's going to have to take more shots. And one of the things you'll notice is if you look at the tape of Trask is his mechanics and his footwork are much, much better this year than they were last year. Which means that on those deep throws, he's able to put it right on the guy's hands, but he's also able to get enough zip that it doesn't Mm -hmm. allow the safety to come over. The only throw where Georgia's safety ever really played a role was the one where Pitts got drilled. And, you know, that's one that I think Trask would like to take back because he sort of led him right into the safety. Though in this day and age of football, you kind of expect the safety to pull up and not necessarily do what, what uh what the safety did there for Georgia. But that's the only one where I really remember where Trask put his receiver in a tough situation and made it a tough catch. Other than that, it was like, hey, a guy's running free, balls right in his hands. Hey, a guy's running behind one on one coverage, balls right in his hands. And One of the reasons he's able to do that is because he's IDing the one-on-one matchup. But one of the reasons is his mechanics are so sound that when the, when the opportunity to get the ball out is there and and get it there on time and on target, he does that a lot. And then the other thing he's really improved on this year is just his pocket discipline. So his pocket presence, that play there where he got the ball to shorter, it almost looked like, I think uh, Gene DeLant sort of, ran into the ball as he was trying to step up and he kind of shot put it the ball to shorter um, you know that sort of innovation when, when you when things break down is something where trash just seems like a calm dude and um, you know, yeah he deserves to be in, in based on this performance and based on the way he's played all year he deserves to be in New York I don't expect it to slow down I mean if you do this to Georgia's defense I expect you to be able to do it to Arkansas and Kentucky and Vanderbilt um, so he's going to be there regardless of what the guys at PFF say and uh, you know he well-deserved
1: <laughs> and, uh, and kind of going to your point, Will, and, and extending one of your points, like, I don't think it could be stated enough in him being the position of uh, of starter for a change. Now, we, we know he prepared like a starter, and that's why he came in versus Kentucky and, and, and litigators back in that game. But now, you know, he had a season worth of starting film to go back and review, and and, and now to pair that. With the with the preparation, uh, a year of watching film with Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson working with you, and, and let's not forget, not in a normal off season d- d- due to COVID, you know, and we saw it versus Georgia, the ball placement, a, a touch that he showed, um, the uh, on on the Pitts and and Grimes touchdowns, all the wheel routes, you know, he's on point and showing attributes he didn't show a whole lot, uh, uh last season he. He's, and, and last year, it was done with a bevy of senior wide receivers last season. It continued that this season with Pitts and Tony leading the way. And then those two guys weren't much of a fighter versus Georgia. And he goes and gets everyone else involved, to, to, to your point there. And look, and look, probably the biggest thing for me in looking at all this and, and pairing him with Dan Mullen, there was a lot of talk of uh, oh, a Mullen offense and that offense being led by a, a running quarterback or a dual-threat quarterback and how you have to have – that dynamic of a quarterback, to for Mullen to have as a really successful offense and a lead offense. Well, look, I, I can safely say that Dan Mullen's offense will be based off the best quarterback on the roster, and you know, hopefully, moving forward, you know, I should kind of go back to your point with the hopefully may Franks thing. You know, hopefully, we get to a point where you know we, we kind of move you know, you know past that. But you could, I mean, if the best quarterbacks on the rosters play, and, and there's not really a set style. Uh, anymore with Dan Mullen after this performance, what we've seen from Kyle Trask the last couple of years, you know, we're seeing a, an elite offense in different ways in a Tim Tebow and a Dak Prescott led offense. And look, I, I know many of you out there and credit to you, you know, proclaim, proclaim Trask to, you know, should get a chance, get a chance to be a starter you get a chance uh, to prove that he can, he can be a starter for the last couple of years. And before he did and, and kudos to you, you know, I didn't believe he'd, he'd amounts to uh, amount to much, but either way, you know, no one envisioned you know, this, and, and I, I'm proud uh, you know, that he's put the college football world on notice uh, again by his performance versus Georgia, uh, and, and setting up for more as the season goes on.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things: is that you know, Jake Fromm for three years, I'm sure was watching plenty of film, and he never really got any better, mm. and. So I I don't know that it's necessarily just the amount of work. Now, I don't know how hard Jake Fromm worked, but I suspect he worked pretty hard. Um, You know, so Trask, I think, in some capacity was – was underrated coming out of high school just because he didn't have the ability to start and show what he could do. I think that if he'd gone someplace and started somewhere, probably he doesn't end up in Florida because you know Nussmeyer and McElwain wouldn't have been able to recruit him in because he does have an awful lot of, of ability. And in fact, that was one of the conundrums back in 2018. I had sort of a running feature where I was going through all the different quarterbacks and making mm-hmm. a case for whether they should be the starting quarterback. And the um, the problem is is that there just wasn't a whole lot you could look at. I mean, you were looking at garbage time of high school football in Texas trying to figure it out. Now his stats indicated he was going to be accurate. His his film actually indicated he was going to be pretty accurate too. The question was, was he going to be accurate like Luke Del Rio was accurate in terms of being able to you know just sort of hit dump offs and things like that, or was he going to be accurate like uh, you know like Joe Burrow is? And it turns out that he's much more Burrow than he is than he is Luke Del Rio, and obviously we're we're better off for it. Um, in terms of like, you know, in in general, I I think nobody can foresee these sorts of things. These leaps don't happen. These leaps don't happen very often. And I think that's one of the things that I hope Florida fans take out of this is in a a year where you've got a pandemic running rampant through all the different programs in college football and everybody's stuck at home and you got quarantines and lockdowns and all this sort of stuff. um, You know, you're seeing something really special. Having a guy who plays like this, and hopefully everybody in the Florida fan camp takes notice that you know when Tim Tebow was playing, he was a different kind of special. But we all obviously realized what we had once Tebow was gone. Hopefully, people realize that with Tras now, and and realize that with this team, right? That the offense is is a special unit, not just because of trash, but because of the closeness of the team and the ability of the team to to band together and and pull off these game plans because. One of the things that was interesting about last year's team is you've got those four senior wide receivers and no one cared who got the ball. And you look at a guy like Van Jefferson, all of a sudden he's in camp with the Rams and they're like, wow, this guy's really good. And it's like, yeah, you know, he had to sacrifice showing that in order to allow his teammates to shine and in order to allow Trask to throw the ball to everybody and throw the ball to the right guy. And that's one of the things I think is maybe a lesson from last year's team and, and even this year's team that it doesn't feel like anybody cares If Pitts gets nine catches and it doesn't feel like Pitts cares if he only gets two catches and is a decoy the rest of the game, Um, you know this team. One Jacob Copeland. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, You know, I mean, it, it, it is what it is, but, um, you know, even Copeland, like he, he can put whatever he wants on Twitter or Instagram, but at the end of the day, he was instrumental in freeing up guys on those really? wheel routes. He was a guy who was running the pick that was freeing up Naquan Wright and freeing Wright. up Malik Davis on those plays. And, you know, yeah, the ball didn't come to you because you were double teamed, but the double team opened up your teammate to be able to torch your big rival. So, um, you know, regardless of whether somebody's being loud on social media after the game, You know, did his job when he did his job, the ball didn't come his way, but it opened up other things and, and, you know, that's one of the things this offense is special for a lot of different reasons. But one of the reasons it's special is that a guy like Naquan Wright could be a really valuable contributor it is because a guy like Malik Davis, who we you know haven't seen since 2007, be this kind of running back can can go out there and contribute because Kadarius Tony has worked his butt off to become a complete wide receiver because Kyle Pitts is just an absolute monster <laughs> out there in a matchup nightmare. You know, even Travon Grimes, who you sort of forget is out there because of all the other guys who were going out there and they got him in 1 on 1 that back shoulder throw puts the touchdown down at the end of the game that was not an easy catch oh, and no. to, and and to make that catch it was the only shot they had because the clock was running down they would if it had been incomplete they would have had to kick a field goal instead it's 34 to 21 you're not really out of, you, you know you haven't really put your foot on George's throat instead it's 38 to 21 and you feel really good going into halftime and go you know the question i was asking was are we going to put up 60 like, yeah. is, is that what's coming here in the second half? You know, is, is Mullen going to start calling timeouts midway through the third quarter to make sure <laughs> that they score? Like, you know, those are the sorts of things you're asking. Th- this is a special offense. I hope people don't take it for granted. It doesn't happen very often. We, sh- we should, coming out of the desert of McIlwain and Nussmeyer and Muschamp, we should really, really embrace the fact that this offense can just go up and down the field because even with Dan Mullen at head coach, if you don't have a trigger man like Trask, if you don't have the weapons that he's got out there, you know, the offense will come back to earth at some point when Trask is no longer quarterback. And hopefully we remember how special this was because this truly is a special thing to watch.
1: Yeah. Long way from Britt, peace and Kurt Roper and Doug Nussmeier and Jim McElwain. It's uh
0: well, all those Definitely. quarterbacks still went to the NFL
1: exactly. I mean, that's what I'm saying. It's a long way from those guys. That's why I didn't single out Driscoll and Greer and all those guys because those guys uh, went and proved that they could play at other schools and have some success, uh, even more success than they had at Florida, and uh, you know, go on to uh, have like Driscoll, you know, a career in the NFL, uh, a bit backup, but still uh, in the NFL there. So well, yeah, I mean, kind of like we said, we'll wrap up the episode here. You know, a, a big win, of course, this is over Georgia. But uh, as Dan Mullen said in, in the press conference today, teams team's got to stay focused. It's – the, the game versus Georgia is irrelevant if you go out there and lay an egg some, somewhere uh, along the rest of the season. It doesn't mean much in the grand scheme of things uh, if you don't follow it up by going undefeated the rest of the season and and continue to show progress. And look, not only this season, but but overall as well, I mean, that, that is a big win over Georgia. You know, recruits are taking notice, uh, and we've discussed that part of it before. Uh, Plenty of Gator fans out there have said, "Hey, you know, one more final step in recruiting and maybe kind of building up to better recruiting is a, is a win over Georgia." Well, you got that, and look up Terry and Arnold and Davian and Sory, two defensive guys. You know that they were paying attention to that game. Maybe maybe that pays off uh, for the Gators here. But as far as this season goes and all that, stay focused. You got Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Kentucky. Tennessee, LSU coming up in the on the schedule. You're better than those teams. You are better than those teams. This offense has enough. Uh, at least got there to score 34 or 40 points a game uh, in those games against some oh you know okay to good defenses in, in Arkansas uh, and, and Kentucky. There, uh, Tennessee's. Yeah, you know, I don't know what to think about them right now, but that um, is kind of kind of kind of where it stands. But it you was know, just st- still you know, some some trips uh, late in the season. Uh, Kentucky Tennessee or just want to play a tough hard-nosed game of football you got you'll have LSU the week before the SEC championship game so you got to stay focused you can't uh, rest on your laurels just after getting this big rivalry win over Georgia
0: yeah well you certainly can if you want to make the playoff So they're going to have, they're going to have to go nine and one and win the sec title to, to go to the playoff. That's really what it boils down to. You got to win out at this point, if that's your goal. And I think the goal at Florida is obviously always to win championships. Now Spurrier, I think sort of set the standard to where you go through, you win the sec. If you win the sec, you're going to have a chance to play for the national championship. I I don't know if that's going to be true in this weird year. If you happen to drop a game to Kentucky or Tennessee or LSU along the way, and then still come back and beat Alabama, Um, you know, but, here's the reality is Florida has the sec championship in their, in their view. They're prob most likely going to play. They, I mean, they would have to go, they would, they would have to go two and three against yeah. Arkansas, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee, and LSU in order to, uh, in order to not, in order to not make the sec championship. So that's there. So the sec championship playing for the sec championship is on the horizon. I think what you want to see is you want to see continuous improvement, right? And we, we saw improvement in the defense from the Texas A&M game to the Missouri game. I think we saw some improvement going from Missouri to Georgia. I think there are still things to work on the defensive side of the ball. When you look at some of the guys who were running free and obviously the first play of the game. So you'd like to see them take another step forward against Arkansas you, you would like to see them have a complete shutout against Vanderbilt. You'd like to see them, you know, by the time you get to LSU, you'd like to sort of feel like where, where LSU was last year, mm-hmm. where early in the year you sort of looked at that game against that they played against Old Miss where they gave up all sorts of yards and points, and you go, is that really a team that can win a national championship with that level of defense? And then by the end of the year, you're like, whoa. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Like, the defense gives up 24 points a game. Doesn't matter. That team's scoring 50. And – and that's probably kind of the best case scenario for Florida. I will tell you, I suspect that one of these five games could be close. Oh, I, 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 I don't know which one, but it's too much to ask somebody to play seven straight SEC games and not come out flat for one of them. Yep. Um, you hope they come out flat at Vanderbilt. Right. So, so that they you know, just sort of turn on the jets there, maybe at the end of the second quarter, score a couple touchdowns, and that's maybe like a 24 to six or 24 to 12 or something like that kind of win. Um, so hopefully that's maybe the one that they come out flat at, but it's entirely possible they could come out flat at. I mean, at a- the A&M, Z. the team
1: you lost to, and who has looked good besides the Alabama game, of course, their struggle was the beginning of the season versus Vanderbilt. So a lot of people were banking on that game, your know, preview in Florida, Texas A&M, and A&M, you know, one Probably their worst game played of the season was versus Vanderbilt.
0: Yeah, so there will be a struggle at some point. Florida's going to have a close game. You know, they already lost the close game to Texas A and M. You're not allowed to lose another close one. If you know the they had the opportunity to win that one against Texas A and M, didn't get the job done. I mean, how much differently would we feel if they, if Malik Davis doesn't fumble, they drive the ball down the field, kick a field goal with three seconds left, and they're now five and zero, oh, having yeah. beaten Texas A and M on the road, gone through the whole COVID thing, beaten Missouri and Georgia, and now you're sitting there. you know now you're two three games up on Georgia essentially And, and going forward we feel a lot different but there's going to be one more close game at least and it's going to be just like 2006 where you had that that South Carolina game it was sort of strange where you had to have the block kicks from Jarvis Moss in order to be able to get to play for the national title I suspect that's what we're going to see as well one of these five games is going to come down to the fourth quarter and Florida thus far has not been a very good fourth quarter team they they struggled in the fourth quarter against Georgia this past week. They were better against Missouri, but still the offense sort of stalled. Texas A and M the offense stalled in the third and fourth quarter. South Carolina they never got the ball, and then Old Miss they were just going up and down the field even in the fourth quarter. So um, they haven't been the same fourth quarter team that they were in 2018 and 2019. That's going to have to change in one of these games. Otherwise they might get clipped. But um, you know that's part of college football in 2020 is is. Um, is everybody has an opportunity at this point, a bunch of weird stuff going on. And so, you know, the the reality is, is that if you'd have told me four and one with a win over Georgia and a last minute field goal, along with a COVID outbreak, would you be happy with where you are five games into the year? I would have said, well, wait, Georgia wasn't the fifth game. What's going on? <laughs> but then I would have said, yeah. Right. A win over Georgia. And it's funny, even even if they do slip up and they end up, let's say they end up eight and two and win the SEC championship game. I I still think that's progress. I mean, winning the SEC. Is so, pro- yeah,
1: right. You you're know, de- pro- you're definitely right. It is. Pro- yeah.
0: So I think we all look at it and go playoff, 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 playoff. And that's where you want to end up at the same time beating those rivals beating the guys, showing that you can play with the big boys is is progress this year because mullen hasn't been able to beat the big boys in in 2018 2019 closest is that game against lSU with the pick six against burrow it, he showed one against kirby smart he's got another one coming up in december we'll we'll see what happens and uh and you know hey like i said if, if he can pull that off against 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 alabama then the program's taking a huge step forward and uh and I'm here for it because it's, it's great to see
1: yeah well I'll, I'll send it out on this arkansas coming up this week of course we discussed the familiarity with uh felipe franks and, and what he can do you brought it up Todd Grantham she know him she know him very well dan mullick knows what he does very well as well kendall browse offensive coordinator there they schemed against him uh last year as the offensive <laughs> coordinator at fsu so a uh, little bit of familiarity there so probably more familiar with this arkansas team than you know, on the surface, Barry Odom, defensive coordinator, so Moe's not going to be surprised by what he does either. But uh, to not really a whole a whole lot of surprise, uh, besides the fact that just you know, Felipe Franks is playing pretty good.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at Arkansas coming into the year, and I think everybody sort of thought they'd go. 0 and 10, 1 and 9, something like that, and the team's 3 and 3, and quite honestly, should have a better record than that because of yep. some of the the bad luck they've had in some close games. There was that game against Auburn where you sort of, right. you know, feel like the refs took it away from them, and and there was another one that I think was really close that they, that, uh, Ole Miss, maybe. Well, they, they're, they're, actually, uh, yeah, there, there actually there
1: was no, there was another one.
0: Yeah, they they played a lot of close games. So 21 to 14 over Mississippi State, lost to Auburn 28 to 30. They yeah. beat Ole Miss 33 21. Lost, well, to, lost right. to Texas A&M by 11. I mean, you know, Texas A&M is turning out to be a pretty good team. And then storming back against Tennessee after, a, you know, down by 13 points. I sort of turned that one off, and then I came back and went, wait, Arkansas Same won? here, like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, what's happening here? So, you know, one, they've proven they can fall behind and come back. I think, you know, they really sort of showed some metal against Georgia, um, though – the Georgia defense was obviously able to set, shut down their offense there in the second half, and then Stetson Bennett was able to come in and, and make the offense go. Uh, Florida should beat them. I think it shouldn't be I shouldn't be close. Vegas has that right. I think you said they were a 17-point point, yep. um, favorite. At the same time, the familiarity with Felipe Franks is something that you can't necessarily replicate, right? The emotion that these guys are going to have coming in, maybe that gets them up for the game.
1: That, I, wow. uh, you read my next point. That's exactly where I was going to go is you, the week after Georgia, you worry about some kind of letdown. Well, this is a guy everybody on his team knows that, you know, th- there should not be a, a letdown. There's defensive guys and the offensive guys he played with should definitely want to go out there and, and, and be and, and, you know, play play a good game against him.
0: Yeah, but by the same token, I mean Felipe Franks was beloved by all of his Florida teammates. I suspect yep. that he's made some significant inroads with his teammates there at Arkansas. You know that all those Arkansas guys are going come, <laughs> to come into this game wanting to take it to Florida for, you know, to help Franks win the game when he comes back to the swamp. And so there's going to be an edge on both sides, I suspect. So hopefully it'll be a really well played game. Both teams will come ready to play and and the better team will win. And that better team is Florida. Um But, you know, like you said, coming off of that Georgia, coming off of that Georgia win, it's natural to sort of take a step back and and live in the glory a little bit and maybe not prepare as hard as you should or just, you know, you get run down over the course of a long season. This is kind of the place where Florida would have been having a bye week. Instead, you're now in the middle of playing that seven game, seven game stretch and really eight game stretch if you factor in the SEC championship game as well. So, um, you know, we'll see. I mean. Who knows, man? It's COVID. No one has any, no one has any idea what team's going to come out on a, on a random Saturday. You know, you got Penn state at zero and three. So all my neighbors are going nuts up here. You got Jim Harbaugh can't buy a win. Indiana won their first game against Michigan since like 1942. You got, (laughs) it's actually like 87, but
1: (laughs) you know, you got whatever momentum you can ride right now.
0: Absolutely. And you know, a couple of weeks ago before the Missouri game, I remember you saying the season could go one of two ways, right? The guys are either going to yeah. band together after the Texas AM and m loss and come out and the defense is going to come out charged up and they're going to put together a, uh, put together a huge win over Missouri. And they're going to show that, that the team that they are is better than the team that lost to Texas A&M or they're going to come out and they're going to fall apart because the secondary is going to be missing and, you know, and, you know, Kyrie Campbell can't really make that big of a difference. The defense can't stop anybody. How are they going to stop anybody with people out? Would,
1: and you just didn't know how they would come back from the two weeks off.
0: Absolutely. And the the team came out and and not only did they deliver a message, but they all also delivered a few punches and then uh, and then came came in against Georgia. You got you got Mullen dressing up like Darth Vader and ticking off all the media and, you know, all the election craziness that was going on. You got Bianchi comparing him to Trump. And, you know, I, I, I tweeted out. I was like, after after beating Georgia, he really ought to come out in a dark helmet um costume from Spaceballs for the, for this press conference but apparently they told him to tone it back he just came out in his Gator polo so uh, <laughs> I, I was a little bit disappointed with the post game presser Dan needs a costume for every uh, he should have worn the Darth Vader one again just because he won last week like people are superstitious That been gotta, funny. Gotta bring that one out again.
1: Yeah. That yeah, it would have been good. Even take the time to maybe even face paint like Darth Maul. Go 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 really crazy with it and see what people got to say with it. <laughs>
0: Uh, you know, uh, he, he could, he could have come out dressed like Bianchi. Like he, <laughs> <laughs> I, look, you and I've talked about it. If, if you, if you don't win and you do yeah. things that are eclectic and people are going to criticize you. The minute you went, and nobody's criticized. There was the one guy who was criticizing Mullen. I think Mark Long was criticizing mm. him for jumping into the stands. With, with, but he's like, well, at least he has a mask on. It's like, yeah, he's he's immune, guys. Like, yeah, like he's, 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 he's also already had COVID, so like he's got antibodies. But yeah, you know, you got a few odds odd people who who make those sorts of uh, who make those sorts of judgments about him. But here's the reality: is when you win, all of a sudden, all that stuff quiets down, and you almost wonder whether coming into the Georgia game, the Darth Vader stuff. And and the criticism of Mullen and things like that just sort of freed up his players to I think hey,
1: the fight in the fight, too. I think, at least in some ways, said, Hey, our coach has got our back.
0: Well, and beyond that, the fight, the ramifications from the fight were not, oh, can you believe the you know, can you believe Zach Carter got himself suspended for the game? It was Dan Mullen instigated the fight. It's not Carter's fault, it was sort of the media narrative that came out of that. So Mullen just took it all on his shoulders. There was no really no pressure on his guys coming in, and you know in past years or past coaches being down 14, to, nothing to Georgia, they would have probably folded, right? They would have said, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm down 14, nothing, nothing we're doing is working. Um, you know, the pressure is too much and we're going to fold. But in this case, I'm not sure they felt much pressure the week coming in. I think they just prepared. I think they felt comfortable that their game plan was good. I think once they started hitting the running backs against the linebackers, they realized, Oh, they can't stop us. And, and the minute that started, it was, it was, yeah, once uh, they saw it was everything out.
1: they put in the week of, and it was working. They're like, okay, yeah, <laughs> we're we're in our bag right now. We, we got this.
0: Yeah. So you know, hey, um, if Mullen keeps beating Georgia, it doesn't matter what he says. Nobody's going to be able to get rid of him, and nobody's going to want to get rid of him. It's <laughs> only it's only going to be if uh, if if this is a once-off that uh, that he'll have issues. And hey, that's the way he wants it, right? Mullen has never been somebody who went out and said, "I want to please people and I want to be well liked." He's cared about being liked by his players, and for all for all the things that people say that are negative about Mullen, one of the things you, you do notice is that all the players that he has coached for three or four years universally love the guy. Now, you know, you'll talk to recruits who necessarily who don't necessarily feel that way, but once the guy gets on campus, people who spend a lot of time with him end up being really close to the guy. And so, um, you know, I think that's I, had
1: I, a lot to do with getting older, mature guys in the transfer portal too. Those guys talk to each other. And I think, you know, hey, you're at this point in your career where you need something to happen and, Look, the track record at Florida at least says those guys have come in and, and did some things and have, you know, have, have actually helped themselves uh, before they end their college careers.
0: Absolutely. I mean, again, you look at the transfer portal this year. I mean, Lengard has not been a huge contributor, but that's probably be- that's because the three guys in front of him are playing really, really well. Uh, Brenton Cox has been a key contributor to the defense. Um sure so- starting to find his way. Yeah, a little bit. So, you know, the the risk of the transfer portal is you bring in a guy. He uses a counter. You've you're bringing in a guy because you have a need that you weren't able to recruit in. And then you're able to, and you're trying to paper over deficiencies. Well, in this case, they've gone out targeted guys who are highly talented, and they have found guys who have hit. Even you know, Grimes is another guy who was who was somebody through the transfer portal that they were able to take advantage of and have him had him for for three years now. But um, that, that's one of the things that I think is is interesting when you look at that. So somebody tweeted out that, and and I put it in my article that Kirby Smart's now zero and seven against teams in the top ten of the twenty four seven. Roster recruiting rankings, and that made me go look because Florida's eighth overall in the in the talent, and they have never placed anywhere near eighth. And I think the best they've placed under Mullen from a recruiting perspective is ninth. And so Mm -hmm. the reason they're up at eighth is because of all those transfers he's brought in. And the difference between the team that's ranked first or second and the team that's ranked eighth is relatively small. If you're bringing in classes that are ranked 14th or 15th, not bringing in a bunch of transfers, well, that's a much wider gap. So the transfer portals helped him close the gap. Obviously, he's hitting on those guys in the transfer portal at a rate that is higher than their recruiting ranking. Because typically, you know, even five stars only convert into guys who make it to the Mm -hmm. NFL like 65% of the time he's hitting on every single one of them which says something about his ability to evaluate a guy who's got college tape it also says something about his ability to utilize a guy whose skills were maybe underutilized someplace else and I don't think anybody's ever doubted that Dan Mullen's an outstanding outstanding coach but um, like I said he, he seems to care whether his players love him doesn't care what anybody else thinks and he's going to do what he thinks is best for the team and um, it led to a win over Georgia so more part to him.
1: Yeah, I think we we you know when it's all said and done, whenever Dan Mullen retires or whatever, I think we'll come back to this little two three week stretch <laughs> right here, uh, on the field, off the field, and you know if he goes down as one of the Gator greats, I think well, well we can go back and look at you know October November of 2020 and say you know what that right there you can you can say 2018 2019 was the start of it all, but I think you can you can kind of pinpoint to a place to where you maybe maybe uh, the, the the avalanche fell one way or the other.
0: Well, I mean, and you can say the same thing for Georgia. One of the things that I I really started to think about, both before this game, but then even more so afterwards, was the 2008 and 2009 Alabama teams coming in and playing Urban Myers Gators and that those Gators lost in – or the Gators won in 2008, won the SEC championship, won the national championship, and then 2009 Alabama came in and took it to them. And if you go back and look at the people – who were involved with that Alabama team, they did a lot of things with Florida in mind. Like that was their, their sort of singular focus during the off season was getting better. So that they didn't lose in the sec championship game again. And, you know, from that point on, I mean, urban Meyer all of a sudden started having, having health issues. And then he's, and then he's there for, then he retires and then unretires. And then, you know, leaves and says the program's broken and goes to Ohio state. And all of a sudden is eating Papa John's pizza and we're laughing at him. Like just sort of the, the downward spiral, Of of the Florida program after that 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 was really sort of the demarcation line was that 2009 Mm -hmm. loss to Alabama now you could you could say that maybe the cracks in the uh, the cracks in the program were already really visible if you looked at it in 2008 and sort of some of the the guys that they were bringing in I mean but they brought in like the number one recruiting class right? right after they won the national championship so it's not as if it's not as if they were bringing in chopped liver but a lot of those guys just didn't turn out. You know, you start to wonder. I mean, you see all the stats where people put out there about Kirby Smart having a worse record than Mark Richt through however many games he's already coached. You've obviously got the fake punt with Fields. You've got Fields transferring. You've got the the blown coverage in the national the the blown coverage in the national championship. You've got you know sort of the the constant situation. Yeah, well, that's the big one, right? But also the constant sort of shuffling of offensive coordinators, not being able to settle on somebody. You know, that was something that we always sort of – suspected about must champ is that no matter what offensive coordinator he brings in, if he ties their hands behind their back and doesn't let them actually call the plays they want, it doesn't matter who you got in there. And um, you know, that's sort of proven true with Muschamp. They're going through their own sort of must champ issues there in South Carolina. You know, is Kirby just a more gifted recruiting version of must champ. If I'm a Georgia fan, I start, uh, I'm concerned about that. I mean, I'm sitting there looking at it going, you know, when he had from, and, and sort of fell into a quarterback who was, who was that good. Because remember, Jake Eason started that year. Mm-hmm. Falls into Fromm, ends up in the national championship. Everything sort of falls right where you've got McIlwain just falling apart in at, at Florida. And, you know, you look at the teams that they beat. They lost to LSU, I think, big that year. So the only yeah. other real high-quality team they played before they got into the SEC championship was... Uh, oh, they lost was, to
1: Auburn and then beat Auburn in the SEC title game.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Um, you know, so they didn't have to play Alabama in the SEC championship game, then play them in the national championship and blow the coverage. But even more than that, got really conservative once they got ahead. And then you have the backup guy coming in. So not to make this a Georgia show or anything, but we got to throw some schadenfreude that way since, uh, since they're our well, main you, rival. And it just shows you, Will,
1: when you have a chance to win the title, you better do it because you can sit there and say, oh, we'll be back and, and we're this close and we're recruiting so well. we won't take too much to get there. Georgia should have won that game. They should have been national champions in that game. That's how close they were. And they haven't been back since.
0: Well, they should have been back the next year. They should have been uh, playing, playing that SEC championship game where Hurts comes in and, and, and leads to comeback as well. And, you know, you start thinking about the difference between Sabin and Smart is that Sabin wins those big games. He's lost a few of them too, but you look at the overall record for Sabin, it's, 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 pretty good and uh, i haven't fact checked it but for for smart to be oh and seven against teams in the top 10 of the of the 24 7 recruiting uh com- team composite whew, like that that and says I something about the, your ability to coach and i think the scores are not even that close either oh no he's lost to lsu big lost to florida big he's lost to alabama yeah. a couple times uh lost to lsu big twice actually twice. and then and then the and auburn game all, as well. And,
1: so. and, and, yeah that auburn game that 2017 year was large uh, large gap as well so yeah,
0: and then and then the inexplicable losses like the one to South Carolina last South Carolina. year mm-hmm. um the Tennessee game that they lost on the Hail Mary with like 11 <laughs> seconds left when they were kicking off after hitting a long touchdown so uh, yeah if i'm a georgia fan i'm a little bit worried because this is one of those where, like you said, you, you sort of peaked in 2017 and haven't really shown, seen any progress. Um, and that, that's something we were always asking for under under McIlwain was, God, let's just see some progress on offense. And then it was like, oh, 105th again. Great. that's That's, that's fantastic. And, you know. Dan Mullen, give him all the credit in the world, right? I mean, after, after the Georgia loss and the Missouri loss in 2018, that team looked like it was dead. And they were down by, what, like 17 or 21 points against, against South Carolina and were able to find a way to win that game and then went on a run and then beat Michigan in the bowl game. And beating Michigan in a bowl game was really progress when you were thinking about where Florida was as a program, especially considering the loss to Michigan in 2017. Then 2019 comes out, loses to LSU, loses to Georgia, but none of those bad losses, like the, lo- well, mm-hmm. bad, quote-unquote, like the losses to Missouri and Kentucky the year before. So you look yeah, at it you and say, hey. You, we-
1: didn't lose the teams, you didn't lose the teams that you were supposed to beat.
0: Yep. And then go to the bowl game and win that one too. So again, progress, but not necessarily exactly where you want to be. And now in year three, you lose to Texas A&M, who it turns out looks like a really, really good team. And then you go out there and you lay it, lay the wood on Georgia. And, um, so again, I think we can say in 2020 progress and, and that's all you can ask from a head coach. If he comes out and makes progress this year, even if they don't beat Alabama, then the progression next year is, okay, it's time to get back and it's time to beat them. And yep. as long as Mullen keeps showing that sort of progress, then uh, then Florida fans are going to be happy. All right, all right.
1: Good stuff. Went a little bit longer than uh, we, we normally do here, but uh, hey, look, this was the win after Georgia. There was plenty, plenty to talk about and plenty to gloat about, so...
0: Yeah, i'm i'm just I'm just disappointed I couldn't get your buddy Robbie to agree to bet on like singing the opposing fight song back when we had him on over the summer <laughs> he he was he was pretty nervous back during the summer even he he didn't you know a lot of times you sort of you sort of say hey you know Let, let's put a friendly bet on it and people are like oh, okay no problem but uh you know he wasn't willing to do it back during the summer and I guess good for him because he doesn't have to come on and sing the Florida fight song for us
1: <laughs> yep yeah, yeah yeah all right finally 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 got one over Georgia I'm happy will
0: Hey man, you should be. This is this is obviously your Super Bowl. Um sort of the the SEC East Super Bowl this year just yeah. because of the way the schedule sets up. So, um, you know, r- cool times. It was nice. You know, one of the great parts about college football, especially when you're following one of these big-time teams like we do with Florida, is just the camaraderie of all the people and and considering the year that we've had with with the lockdowns and COVID-19 and all that sort of stuff. This year does feel a little bit special being able to share an experience with people Um, you know, whether it be on Twitter, whether it be through the podcast, whether it be through my website, um, an experience that we're all sort of pulling in the same direction. Um, and and then, and then throwing shade at the opposition in a way that isn't necessarily (laughs) life or death. It's just, you know, fun because, you know, we hate people from Georgia, but, or (laughs) hate people who went to Georgia, but, you know, at the end of the day, like being able to pull together, being able to have that sort of camaraderie has been really great. And that's one of the things that I love about college football. It's one of the reasons why I pay so much attention to it, even though I'm up here in Philadelphia and, uh, yeah, it's just it, it's great so thank you everybody for listening thank you everybody for interacting because in all this time with all of the with all the limitations we have in terms of who we can see and, and what we can do it's great to be able to have some people out there who are pulling in the same direction and and contributing in our lives hopefully the same way we are in theirs
1: absolutely Gator Nation's had a lot of fun the last couple of days and pulling receipts from all the Georgia media and fans that uh, Florida didn't have a chance this year so that was a uh, that that has been a whole lot of fun. Seeing seeing the last couple of days, uh, even some I've gotten tagged in for conversations I forgot I had with, with some Georgia people, uh, and I'm I'm glad I, I tweeted retweeted some of those and put time machine uh, as my tweet because that's exactly what it felt like. So,
0: well, then uh, this is this is a side that I think most people don't get to see of you very often. Like you're taking Twitter receipts after the Georgia win. <laughs> and that's that's pretty good there, Dave. I, I uh, you know you're you're one of the nicest people I've ever met. So if if it's getting you riled up to where you're uh, to where you're taking good-natured <laughs> shots at Georgia fans. It's, it's definitely a big deal and definitely a good time.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. So that is Will Miles. You can find him at his site, readandreaction.com and on Twitter at Will Miles, i I'm the host of Gators Breakdown, David Waters. You can find me on Twitter at GatorDave underscore S-E-C. Guys and girls out there, thanks for listening to this episode of Gators Breakdown.